Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Trinity. I hope you are well this morning. Good to see you. Thank you, Steve, for that incredible prayer. And thank you, John, for reading that passage. We are coming to the end of our teaching series that we've called Signs of Life in the letter of 1 Timothy. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the different metrics of spiritual health. Now, 1 Timothy is one of the best places to look for this because it was written by someone who knew a ton about spiritual health, the Apostle Paul, uh, the author of many of the letters of the New Testament, someone who had followed Jesus, served him uh, in many different contexts over many years. The Apostle Paul was the author of this letter, and he wrote into a situation that was pretty unhealthy, the situation that was happening at the church in Ephesus, a church he knew well, a church he started, um, a church he stayed in contact with, and he loved very dearly. And it was written to somebody who needed help in figuring out what to look for, what not to look for, and how to bring this church back to a healthy place. And that was Timothy, his friend and his apprentice in ministry. So in 1 Timothy, Paul, he's like a spiritual doctor. He's, he's diagnosing and he's treating unhealth with what he calls uh, sound teaching or sound doctrine. Sound as in it's, it's true. It's based in the reality of who we are and in the reality of who Jesus is, as well as sound as in healthy. The Greek word for sound uh, is where we get the word hygiene or hygienic. So Paul is saying this is truth that leads to health, that leads to the wholeness that God has designed us uh, to live in. This morning, we're looking at the final words, uh, some of Paul's final words in the letter here. And if you look at them in context, if you have your Bible open and you see here they are at the very end, and if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, the passage that uh, preached on, what you'll see is they first had seemed kind of strangely placed. Paul had just finished this epic charge to Timothy. It's this powerful, poetic, almost this uh, song of praise that ends with the word, Amen. And verse 16, it sounds like a great ending. That's how you end a prayer, how you end a letter. But he has one more thing to say, and that's what we have before us in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Now, some scholars look at that and say, uh, this is too out of place. Uh, it must have been added or inserted at a later time. But the truth is, there's no uh, evidence, there's no reason to think this. And here's what I think happened. It was a very human explanation, I believe. I think Paul was just about to close this very important letter uh, to Timothy. And he had just charged Timothy with this incredible, epic prayer. He said, Amen, but then he realized, wait, there's one more thing that I have to say. If, if I don't mention this, uh, this letter won't be complete. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, he penned 
these three verses because he said there's one more sign of life there's one more metric that if i don't mention and tell timothy directly to look for uh, then and then this letter won't be finished and as i thought about it this week what struck me is how generosity what paul talks about in these three verses how it relates to the other signs and metrics we've looked at that appear here at the end of the letter and we've looked at caring for those in need and how paul spends almost an entire chapter talking about this in chapter five a few weeks ago actually last week we talked about contentment caring for those in need and contentment are interconnected with generosity think about it i actually have a graphic that kind of visually um, might help all of you get a sense for how these things are all connected to each other care for those in need contentment and generosity there you see them kind of laid out in a venn diagram you know here's how it might work think about this we might feel like we should help somebody in need we might say there's somebody in need i should care for them but if we're not content we will tend to stop short because we're just focused on our own needs we 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 don't feel like we have enough we can be content and we can be generous people in that overlapping category. But if we're isolated from need, if we don't see people who are in need, uh, then we won't care for them. We'll kind of be in our own little bubble. We can be content with what we have, but if we're not generous, often we'll fall short of caring for people in need sacrificially. We'll only offer superficial help because we're worried that if we give too much, we'll lose our contentment. So those are just a few ways that these three things are all interconnected. And this really is Paul, I think, completing this trifecta of what a healthy relationship looks like to our money, to our things, which is a core aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have a healthy relationship to the things that God has given to us. So this morning, we're going to zero in on generosity. This is challenging for the time we're living in, but it's necessary. It's necessary for us to think about this, even though we're in a time of great need and a time of great economic instability. It's hard for us to think of others in need when we have needs ourselves. It's hard for us to be content when we have things we fear we will lose. It's so uncertain. And it's hard for us right now in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a pandemic, to be generous. All of us feel it because we want to hold on to what we have, not knowing what the future holds. We just want to write it out and see how things will be on the other side. But if we do that, Paul says that's a sign of unhealth. That's a sign that we are inconsistent. That's a sign, he says, that people will be led into unhappiness. Missing opportunities, as he says here, to take hold of the life that is really life. So let's look at how this works. I have three questions that I want to walk through. This passage helps us answer three questions that I would say are kind of like the path on the way to generosity. And we're going to fill in the blank. If you have your outline, I would encourage you to pull that out. Kids, take your kids outline. Have that handy because we're going to fill in these blanks as we go. Question number one. The first question we have to answer in order for this text to do anything in our lives is this. Does this passage, does this text even apply to me? 
our first question on the path to generosity is, am I rich? Am I rich? And you might be thinking, me? Rich? <laughs> I don't identify with that. This part of the letter we see was tailored and written for a very specific group of people. Verse 17 says, this is for those who are rich in the present age. So it's not for everyone. Your first reaction to this question may be like mine, which is, no. Me? I'm not rich. Um, maybe I'm not poor, but I'm not rich either. I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not Warren Buffett. They are rich, but I don't have what they have. Now, in this letter, in, in, in the church that uh, Paul was writing to and Timothy was pastoring, not everybody was rich. In fact, some people were very poor. They were the poorest of the poor. The widows that we looked at a few weeks ago were one example of the, those who were poor. But many were, in fact, wealthy. And the thing here is the way that Paul talks in 1 Timothy, he really leaves no middle ground. As we might say, well, I'm, I'm not rich, uh, maybe I'm not poor, but I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. Now, the thing is, those who uh, are, in fact, really and truly poor, they, they know it, and most people around them can readily see that. And those who are very, very wealthy, they know it, they can't deny it, and everybody around them knows it. But what about everyone in the middle who wants to say, I'm in the middle of that, and everybody wants to be in the middle, but many places in the Bible, including 1 Timothy, makes it into a binary issue. There are those who are rich in this present age, and then the there are those who are poor. Paul makes it a binary issue to force us to answer the question, which one am I? Now I want you to look at verse 17 because what Paul says here can help us answer the question. Maybe a question we're trying to dodge and we don't want to answer. But if we're willing to take an honest look within, before he calls those who are rich to be generous, in verse 18, first he addresses two of the great obstacles that keep a rich person from being generous. They're both here in verse 17. The generosity of verse 18 then can only happen for the person who admits and sees themselves in verse 17, that they indeed are rich and that they indeed have these two struggles operating within their heart. What are these two struggles? He says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant and not to have a misplaced hope. So let's look at those two things. First, he talks about arrogance. This has everything to do with, with status. The word here for arrogance is to be haughty or high-minded, to think of yourself as above other people. It's an attitude of superiority because of what we have. Now, what's where this finds its root and its cause is thinking that what we have is because of us that we've earned it. What we have, we've earned, so it's ours, and so it says something about who we are. It's a status that's tied to our money and our things. We tend to take credit for what we have and say, it's mine. I earned it. So when, we, when God says to us something like, it's not yours, it's mine, I gave it to you, and I want you to give it away, we have a hard time hearing that. That's the arrogance Paul is talking about, a high-mindedness that places our status in what we have. There's also, he says, 
a false hope that's connected to security. So the rich struggle with finding their status in what they have. They also struggle with finding their security in what they have. He says, instruct them not to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. When you look to the future, let me ask you this. When you look to the future, what causes you to look to the future with hope and not anxiety? What causes you to look to the future with, uh, with anticipation and not fear or dread? Is it because of what you have? Is it because of a certain number in your bank account or in your retirement accounts? If your hope for the future is more tied to how much money you have or will have, rather than on God and his character and his will for your life, if your security is tied to your money and your things, Paul is saying you will not get to verse 18. You will not be able to be generous, as generous as God calls you to be. Now, as we are all seeing now in all that we are facing, and we will see more and more in ways to come, this is very hard and very difficult. To base our hope and our plans on wealth, though, Paul says, is to base our hope on something that is very uncertain. And we're all feeling that uncertainty right now. But Paul says there is something better that we have available to us to place our hope in. Now, I want to say something about this. This is not discounting planning or prudence. It's a matter of where our hope is really set. What is it that sets the goals and the plans of our lives? What is it that sets the limits of what we will do and what we'll not do, of what we're willing to risk, of what we are willing and glad to give away? Is it how much we have or is it God and his will? And so the question is, how much is enough to be radically open to the will of God when he says to us, give? Now, let me dig a little bit more because we all tend to want to say, just, just leave me in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm not poor. I'm not rich, but I'm somewhere in the middle. A good indicator for us of where we really stand is our, our prayer life. Do we find ourselves praying to God? God, I just need a little bit more. Or do we find ourselves praying to God as we looked at a number of weeks ago? God, give me this day my daily bread. I think I have a slide that uh, shows you the reference, Proverbs 30, uh, 7 through 8. This is a prayer in the book of Proverbs, and it says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. This is, these are like these two ultimate prayer requests that this, uh, the, the author of Proverbs say, Before I die, I want two things. One, keep me from falsehood and lies. And two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I, may, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. People who are rich have a hard time praying, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me this day our daily bread. And instead are always focusing their prayers on tomorrow's bread bread for 10 years from now. Lord, just give me enough, and then I will be generous, just a little bit more. Now, friends, let's pause. I want to say something that's fairly direct, but also hard for us. Now, if one or both of these things, that this, this status, 
finding our money and status, the security, finding our security in what we have. If that's true of you, if that's true of me, here is something we need to wrestle with. These are the struggles of the rich. These are not the struggles of the poor. The poor struggle with insecurity and loss of hope. The rich struggle with superiority and setting their hope on what they have. While the poor struggle with a sense of inferiority, the rich struggle with a sense of superiority. The Bible's definition of a rich person is a person who has more than enough. And we say, well, what's enough? And Paul has answered that question for us earlier in 1 Timothy. In verse 8 of chapter 6, he says, If we have food and clothing and shelter, we will be content with these. The implication being, if I have these, if I have more than these, then I am rich. My dear friends, for most of you listening to this right now and who will listen to this uh, later on, the truth is, the hard truth is this passage is for us. It applies to us. We are meant to answer the question, am I rich? By saying yes. So these are our instructions, our prescription, our medicine for a genuine and healthy and growing faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, we are reading from the CSB version which says instruct. That's probably too weak of a word. This is a military word that Paul, that Paul uses. He says, command, command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who have comfort and security in their statuses and their money and things because the pull of arrogance, the pull towards a false hope is so strong. He says, command. Let me just give you some, some statistics for some perspective if we're having a hard time answering this question. Consider this. If you make over $32,400 per year, this puts you in the top 1% of the world as far as income. Over 730 million people in the world live on less than $1.90 per day. Over 800 million people do not have enough food to survive. They are hungry. Over 1 billion people have no regular access to clean water. 20% of the world's population consumes 86% of its resources. And the other 80% is left for the other 14%. We often want to compare ourselves to people who have a little bit more than us. But the reality is, if we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we have so much, friends. It pushes us out of the middle, right into this text, Paul says, this is for those who are rich. And if you don't believe you're in the first verse, that you are indeed rich and God has given you these things, you won't be able to find yourself in verse 18 in being generous. You must first say, I am rich, before you become generous. But we can't jump over what Paul says in between these two things in the second half of verse 17. This is our second question. And generosity doesn't happen because of statistics of sociological guilt. Statistics can wake us up. They can make us see more clearly where we stand with regard to the rest of the world. But they can't change us or make us generous. This passage teaches us that generosity comes down to what we believe about God. Question one was about us. Question two is about God. Is God generous? 
It all comes down to how we answer that question. And Paul summarizes the God of the Bible, his true character, his heart in verse 17 like this. Look at it with me. God is the one who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Can you underline that? Kids, parents, everyone, can you circle what Paul says? He says this is who God really is. And I ask you, friends, is this your view of God? Really? There are really only two ways to think about God. All views of God could break into these two categories. The first is there is a God, but he really isn't that generous. This is the God of a performance-based religion, which many people mistakenly believe is the God of Christianity. This God can never be described in the way that Paul describes God in verse 17. This kind of God is the God who provides for people exactly what they deserve and what they earn and what they work for, no more, no less. This kind of God who gives people only what they have earned and what they deserve is the God of performance-based religion, which feeds into this sense of status of dividing the world between the good and the bad, those who deserve and those who don't, those who are in and out. You're never secure with this kind of God because you never know when you've done enough. Religious people then cannot be truly generous because they don't believe God is truly generous. With a God like this, we get only what we deserve. But Paul says this is not the God who really is. The God who really is, is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Who richly provides us. That, that verb is in the present tense, meaning this is who God is, always in the present. He is always the God who richly provides, because he has always been this God. It is his character. It is who he is. It's the reason why anything exists, because God has richly provided a universe, an earth, provided us with life in everything that we have. It's the answer to the question, why is there anything at all? Is because God is a generous God who provides everything for us to enjoy. Why is he so generous? He says because he wants us to enjoy the things he has made. This is a very strong word. The only other place it's used in the Bible is in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, 25, for enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Paul says here, we are to take great joy in the generous things that God has given to us. With the God of performance-based religion, you get what you deserve. With the God of the Bible, you say we don't get what we deserve. We get far more above and beyond what we could ever deserve. Now what this means, if this is true, if this really is who God is, and if we really believe it, then we have everything we need to know to be radically generous, to do everything that verse 18 tells us to do, to become rich in good works, to do good, to share. All that comes down to a matter of whether we know this God whether we know God to be this kind of God. Friends, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the very heart of the message of Christianity and the whole Bible is this. God is really this generous. That's what it's all about. 
far more than we could ever imagine. Far more than we could ever really dream to be true. There's a quote that I shared in our reflection quotes. You'll find it at the top of your digital bulletin. It's from Randy Alcorn. He said, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When the lightning of God's grace strikes us, the joyful giving of our time and talents and treasures should follow. When we find ourselves struggling to be generous, what we need is a lightning strike of God's grace to hit us in our hearts. That lightning bolt comes when we realize a few things. First, if God isn't generous, then I would have nothing. We have to let the gospel strike our arrogance and strike our false hope, the struggles of the rich. And the gospel does that by telling us, if God is not generous, then I have nothing. If God gives me what I deserve, I would have nothing because I deserve nothing. Our lives, all we have, all the joy we have experienced in life is all a gift from a generous God. And what have we done with all these? Well, we have replaced God with these things and sought these things instead of him. And we have taken from God and said, God, thank you for this. But where's the rest? I need more. We've become entitled, saying, thank you for what you've given me, but I think I actually deserve more. Now, it's easy, easier for us to be generous to someone who's not entitled, to someone who's appreciative, someone who's thankful. But what about somebody who is entitled and somebody who is ungrateful, who says, that's it? That's all? Keep coming. Give me more. You aren't generous. The Bible says that's us. That's how we've treated God and his generous gifts to us. And the gospel has to lightning strike our arrogance first so that we say, well, I deserve nothing. But for those who come poor and needy who say, I deserve nothing, knowing we deserve nothing, the gospel gives us a far greater hope than we could ever imagine, an unshakable security because God is far, far more generous than we would ever have imagined. What did God give to us? What did God give to those who don't deserve anything, who have squandered and taken his good gifts and become entitled and accused him of not giving us enough? Well, he's given us himself. In numerous places, we see this is how far God has gone in his generosity. God loved us and gave himself for us. This is the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. According to Christianity, this is the basic starting point of knowing God. He is the God who holds nothing back. And we say, if God is not generous, I would have nothing. But because God is generous, I have everything. So a Christian is someone who says to the question, is God generous? The answer is the only way that I have anything is because God is more generous than I would ever have imagined. As Steve prayed earlier, Romans 8, 32 says, the God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In the gospel, we have a status and a security that is greater than any amount of wealth 
could ever provide for us. We are sons and daughters of a generous God who made everything, who owns everything, and he promises to never withhold anything that his children truly need. Is God generous? Question number two. The answer of the gospel is, it's our only hope. And it's true. God is far more generous than we could ever imagine. Question three. If you don't believe you're in the first verse, if you are rich, uh, you won't be in the second. You won't be uh, generous. And if you don't believe in this generous God, you won't have the lightning strike of generosity come to your heart. And you won't get what is offered to you in this third verse. What Paul says is a good foundation and the life that is truly life. Question three is what will happen if I give generously? You might be tracking with me so far and say, okay, maybe I see I am rich in many different ways that I didn't see. And God is this generous to me. But when it comes down to the act of giving, to the act of sharing and being rich and generous, we have fear in our hearts. We're holding back. We wonder, what will happen if I give? Well, verse 19 tells us, Paul says, you will store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. So the answer that Paul gives is what will happen if I generously give is you will let go of some things and it won't be easy. It will be hard and costly to give of these things. Just as it was of great cost to God to generously save us by giving himself for us. So our generosity, the generosity God calls us to is sacrificial and costly. So it will feel like sacrifice, but you will take hold of something in the letting go and in the giving that is far greater than anything you let go of. Let me be clear. What's being commanded here is not give of your extra time, of your leftover uh, talent and treasure. Share the stuff that you don't want anyway. That's fine, but it's not what's being described here. To be generous is, by definition, to go above and beyond. To open-handedly, willingly, and joyfully share and give of what you have. Not only when the calculations make sense, but they're in all the calculations out the window. Generosity is uncalculated sharing. The truth is, to know the answer to this third question, what will happen if I generously give, is you can't know until you do it. You won't know until you do it. It's kind of like this. If you're holding... Two um, Monopoly bills, $500 bills of Monopoly. I got $1,000 in Monopoly money. And I come to you and say, here, I want to give you this treasure chest of gold. It's 14 karat gold. It's a full treasure chest. Here, take it. And you won't grab a hold of the treasure because you're holding on to your Monopoly money. You have to let go in order to take hold. In a book called The Paradox of Generosity, Notre Dame sociologist Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson share what they call a sociological fact. They call it the paradox of generosity. They say it's a fact that was clearly established by all their research, and it's this. Here's the paradox. Those who give receive back in return. Or, by grasping onto what we currently have, we lose out on better goods that we might 
have gained. There's a paradox inherent in the practice of generosity. And there's two paradox, uh, two paradoxes that I want you to consider as I offer a few closing applications here about the practice of generosity, about what Paul's talking about here when he answers the question, what's going to happen if I generously give like this? First, generosity or giving away helps us when we feel empty. Now, I want to be uh, somewhat cautious here, but I think this needs to be said. Now, this is just one facet of, of a complex of issues. When we feel empty, when we feel anxious, when we feel down, spiritually depressed, what's, what's the treatment? What does the Bible prescribe? Very often, the Bible prescribes generosity. I'll never forget hearing uh, one pastor. It was, it was a pastor who long ago I found out, um, you know, through a magazine article that he actually was living in a really nice house. And this article published um, the price of his house. And this was before I had moved to California. So I was living in Florida and they published the price of his house living in Southern California. And I thought, man, this guy is living it up. Uh, and so I, I had a, a, a certain view of this of this pastor and this ma uh, this leader in ministry. But later I saw him being interviewed, and what he shared with with uh, the interviewer has stayed with me ever since. They were asking him, um, "Well, how do you go through as as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader, some of the ups and downs when you feel depressed, when you feel empty, like you have nothing left to give?" He said, when I hit those moments in my life, I just step back and I consider, well, what is God calling me to be generous with? And for him, it always came back to the giving away of, of money, of giving a gift to somebody in need or somebody who needed encouragement. And he said he found that when he gave, there was a joy that came back to him and that filled him up, that lifted his spirits. I think that's part of what Paul is talking about here. Now, this is not the whole picture, but it's something we must not overlook as a treatment of our anxieties, of our fears, of periods of the blahs, and some of the dark nights of the soul that we experience. Generosity can put us in touch with that life that is really life. So generosity, that's one of the paradoxes. It's in giving away that actually helps us when we feel empty. Another paradox, generosity or giving away prepares us for losing. Generosity actually prepares us for loss, even crisis. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, long ago, uh, in the fifth century, fifth uh, and sixth century, he wrote a book called The City of God. And, and this book was about the time uh, when Rome, the great mighty empire of Rome, fell. Uh, it was sacked and destroyed. And it was a mind-blowing event. No one could have ever imagined this happening, but it happened. Uh, so not only was it a defeat in war of a mighty nation, it actually completely shifted everybody's thinking and everybody's way of life. People who had relied on the security and the predictability and even the protection of the Roman Empire all of a sudden were left in a whole new reality. Now, early on in the book, The City of God, Augustine says there were two kinds of people who handled the crisis totally differently. 
of those who held tight to their time and their talents and everything that they have to try to get through it, they were shaken to the core. He said they had so much to lose when these things were disrupted or taken away by uncertainty or adversity. But, he said, those who held loose, who were giving away their time, who continued to be generous, even as the world was changing all around them, they found a joy, even as their world was drastically altered. Let me share what Augustine said early on in that book. It says, those who were generous with their things have been consoled for light losses by great gains and have had more pleasure in those possessions which they have securely laid past or given away by freely giving them away than grief in those which they entirely lost by an anxious and selfish hoarding of them. For nothing could perish on earth save what they would be ashamed to carry with them to heaven, away from earth. A very challenging thought, but I think very relevant to us and to our times. It is in generosity that we actually can prepare ourselves for times of great disruption. Now, the truth of verse 19 is this paradox. Generosity will always make you richer in true wealth, in that which is truly life. It gives you a solid foundation, Paul says, a real foundation for the future. So every time you give away, you are building a more solid and secure foundation, far more secure than anything hoarding and keeping could give to us. And then he ends with the best part of all. As you share and as you let go and as you give generously, what happens? You take hold of that life which is truly life. What a powerful phrase. What is that life that is truly life? Well, it must be the very life of God, the original giver, the generous God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. When we let go, when we're generous, we enter more fully into that life. And what do we get? More and more of God himself. So friends, knowing this God who has richly provided us with all things to enjoy, who has generously forgiven us and brought us in as his sons and daughters. May we hear this word. May we let go and may we take a hold more and more of him. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray. I pray that you would help us answer these questions that this text forces us to ask with honest hearts that we would be able to see maybe more clearly in a strange way in this very difficult time all that we have been given by you that it is not ours but all things are yours and you have given us so much lord as we struggle with things that we are losing or have lost or may lose. I pray that you would help us grab a hold of you and know you as the God that you are, the God who generously and richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Thank you that you don't treat us as we deserve. You don't give us what we deserve, but you have given us far, far more than we could ever ask in Jesus Christ. Teach us 
Father, in light of that, in light of the security, in light of the truth of who we are in Him, to learn the joy of generosity, that we might have more and more of this life that you've intended us to live. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.